for anyone who's, who's built a SaaS platform or any type of, you know, a course or education, you know that you really have to know who you're serving. If you're going to create something that resonates, if you're going to create something that solves their pains. I'm Amy Porterfield, ex-corporate girl turned CEO of a multi seven-figure business. But it wasn't all that long ago that I lacked the confidence, the budget, and the time to focus on growing my small but mighty business. Fast forward past many failed attempts and lessons learned, and you'll see the business I have today. One that changes lives and gives me more freedom than I ever thought possible. One that used to only exist as a daydream. I created the Online Marketing Made Easy podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies to help you do the same. If you're an ambitious entrepreneur or one in the making who's looking to create a business that makes an impact and a life you love, you're in the right place, friend. Let's get started. My brand voice guide is my business's North Star when it comes to keeping all my business content and marketing content clear, consistent, and inviting. That's why I created the brand voice guide outline you wish you had sooner, which is a free resource to help your business experience the same as mine. So all you have to do is plug in your business details into the given outline that I've created that has all the essential components of a brand voice guide. So you don't even have to pay to get it created like I did. You can plug in your information and you'll be well on your way to having a cohesive voice across all brand assets. And I've even shared my own brand voice guide with you so you can use it as a reference as you craft your own. It's like having a mentor right by your side. So go to amyporterfield.com forward slash voice guide to grab your copy of the brand voice guide outline you wish you had sooner. And I can promise you, you're going to elevate your brand instantly. That's amyporterfield.com forward slash voice guide. Hey there, friend. Welcome back to another episode of Online Marketing Made Easy. So let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. I actually met her in person just a few months ago, but I have known about her for years and years. Actually, I'm recording this intro, which I often do after the interview, so I kind of know the direction I want to take. And she mentioned a really big moment in her life that she'll talk about on the podcast happened six years ago. And I thought, well, I knew all about that moment six years ago. I didn't know I'd been following her for so long, but actually just met her recently, which is What's so beautiful about community? We're going to talk about community today, growing a community, not being scared to put yourself out there and build your own community. And I love how the internet makes you feel as though you are friends with someone, even though you've never met in real life. It's like the best old fashioned pen pal feeling ever. Did you ever have a pen pal in like grade school? I did. It was beautiful. And so I was just thinking, you know, sometimes I sit and have coffee with Hobie in the morning. It's his favorite thing. He is a quality time kind of guy. I'm an acts of service kind of girl. If you talk about love languages. So I always say, take out the trash and you're the sexiest husband in the world. But if I sit with him for 20 to 30 minutes in the morning and drink coffee and just talk about anything that's on our minds, he is a happy man. 
I do it a few times a week, or at least I try to. And I often tell them about my friends and I'll say, so my friend, so-and-so, da-da-da. And then I have to stop and say, well, I've never really met her in real life, but we're friends online. Like I have this new friend online that we just DM each other a lot. And I have never met her. And that's a weird, weird concept when I talk to Hobie, who's not an online kind of guy. And I tell him about all my friends, but they feel like real friends. And I love that. And so Natalie has been one of those friends that I never met until a few months ago, but I'd absolutely call her a friend. And I'm so excited she's on the podcast today. I think we can all agree that if the pandemic taught us anything, I'm taking a, a little twist here. If the pandemic taught us anything, it's that there's no denying that as humans, we crave community and connection. It's important to do this both in person and online, as I mentioned. And since Natalie is a professional community builder, she is, she is, I can't say that about most of my guests. She is a professional community builder. She's going to share about how to cultivate an online community for your business, as well as how to find community as a business owner so that the journey feels a little less lonely. Natalie is a self-proclaimed advocate for independent business owners and has years of experience championing over 100,000 of them through communities she's built with Rising Tide Society and HoneyBook. Currently, Natalie is sharing her gifts as head of community at Flowdesk, and she is also a speaker and two-time author tackling topics like self-doubt and fear that can keep any entrepreneur, or person for that matter, from advancing their vision. Whether you're looking for advice on how to foster community both for yourself and for your business, or you need some encouragement to overcome your fears and accept that it's okay to mess up, because we're going to talk about that too, then this is the episode for you. Help me give a warm welcome to Natalie Frank. Well, hey there, Natalie. Welcome to the show. Oh, Amy, thank you so much for having me. This is a long time coming, and I'm so honored to have you on. We have so much to cover in areas that my audience has asked about over and over again. So they're going to love this conversation tenfold. But before we get started, for those that might be new to you, can you share a little bit about yourself and your work? Yes, absolutely. So I am a photographer turned community builder who has spent the last decade of my career turning that passion for entrepreneurship and that mama bear attitude towards small business into supporting tech companies. And so my journey has been very nonlinear from running businesses myself to cultivating communities for tens of thousands of small business owners to, you know, stepping into the tech space and really trying to pour back into the community that I love through tools. That's the the high level. But if we go one level deeper, which I know you love to do. I do. I'm also a wife to my high school sweetheart, Hugh. We've been together since we were 15. And we have two little miracle babies. My oldest is four. My youngest is two. So I'm a mom of toddlers who is, you know, honestly, most days just trying to make sure that I don't have like, you know, goldfish crumbs on my sweater before I jump on to Instagram or, you know, that my dog didn't chew through my power cord, which did happen on one occasion. Just a, a regular old mom of two toddlers trying to just get by. You're not really a regular old mom because I'm going to say something that I know you've publicly talked about, so I'm not going to tell any secrets, but you had a really big health scare. Will you talk about that a little bit and where did it fit in with having babies? Yes. Yeah. So in my early 20s, I was diagnosed with a benign brain tumor and 
It was located in a hormonal center of the brain that was right behind where my optic nerves crossed. So it was pushing up against those optic nerves. Thankfully, I never lost my vision, but that was always something we were, were tracking over time. Several years after that, so for years, we just kind of watched it and I kept it very private, never talked about it while I was building that photography business, never talked about it when I launched, you know, my community, co-founded it, the Rising Tide Society, until I made the move out to San Francisco, got a new medical team, and my neuroendocrinologist and neurosurgeon felt really strongly that I needed brain surgery. We need to actually go in and tackle this head on if I wanted to have, for example, a family or just a life beyond always worrying that this was going to be the MRI where it had grown a little bit too large. And so late 20s went in for brain surgery. And that was the moment I did start to share about it, as you said, and talked about it more openly. And I had been told up until that point, like up until surgery, I had been told that with the tumor where it was and with the risks related to that tumor, specifically in relation to the pituitary gland, it just wasn't safe to pursue pregnancy. And I had been turned down from fertility clinics up until that point to try. So the promise that my neuro team had made to me was that six months after brain surgery, if I had recovered fully and if I was still interested, I could start to try to pursue fertility treatment, right? Like actually begin. And as you can imagine, for someone who has been dreaming of something for a very long time, six months and one day to the date of my surgery, I uh, walked into uh, the fertility center at UCSF uh, hospital out in San Francisco. And yes, it was a long journey from there. A lot of treatment, a lot of heartbreak. I'm really grateful for just all of the support of the medical community. And with the miracle that is IVF, I now have two, two kids on the other side of that. I'm six years brain tumor free. Ugh. It feels like a lifetime ago that you shared that, but then sometimes it feels like I'm sure like yesterday to you because it's so big and real. But I remember following along. I can't believe it was six years ago. I know. I feel that way every day. I really do. And I agree. It's as a lot of things that are defining in our, our life, you know, we can look back and it feels, wow, I, I wasn't even the same person when that happened. I don't even recognize her. I love her. I admire her. But wow, how much I've grown, how much I've changed and evolved. And yet, as we also know with hard things in our lives, sometimes those emotions can come roaring back when we least expect it. So I often say, you know, recovery isn't linear and it doesn't happen overnight. And for me, even six years in, it's a constant process of learning how to love myself and acknowledge my limitations even today and continue the trek forward with the knowledge that every single day is such a gift. Well, I'm so glad you shared that. It allowed all of us to get to know you more and to cheer you on. And now we get to see you with these two beautiful babies and it's just really fun. And as I mentioned in the intro, I got to meet you in person for the first time, which was so fantastic. And I felt like I had known you forever. And it just sparked in me, we've got to bring you on and talk about community. You've built an incredible career on the foundation of community. And I can't say that about most of my guests. That is unique. We all talk about community. We know we need it. But to me, you have really built your foundation there. So can you talk about the impact that having a community has had on your career and really why you believe it's a key element to being successful as an entrepreneur? 
Yes. So I like to say that my entire career would never, would never have come to pass without the community that has surrounded me, you know, and and all of us, regardless of whether community has been our professional focus or something personally that we're invested in, we all stand on the shoulders of others who have come before us. There is a legacy of community that has built our families, that has built the industries we work in, that is building, I hope, a brighter future for all of us. And so for me, community is really what inspired me to become a small business owner back in those days where I was a creative and a family full of science nerds. Everyone in my family went down this very quantitative STEM medical path. Mom, nurse practitioner, dad, nuclear engineer, grandfather, a literal rocket scientist for NASA for 30 years. And I popped out and I said, I'm creative. I want to be an artist. And I have a very supportive family. But as anyone who has started a business can attest to, sometimes our dreams shock even those closest to us. And you know, I don't know that I would have had the confidence to take that leap and to feel affirmed in saying, no, I think photography can be not only a business, but a job that I can be proud of for the rest of my life that I can build and can nurture. And I, you know, I really do credit community for seeing examples of others who are out there doing it. I talk a lot about the world is so quick to see others who are succeeding and say, they're your competition. But instead, what if we looked at them as examples of what is possible instead of proof that we are falling behind, falling short, or that it's not meant for us. And that's what community did for me, right? That's what community showed me in those early days of my career. And then as we just touched on too, when we go through difficult seasons, when I was recovering from brain surgery, I don't think we cooked a dinner, my husband and I, in that little apartment in San Francisco. I don't think we cooked a single dinner for three months after I went in for brain surgery. I just remember food being dropped off at our door from people in the Rising Tide community, from my colleagues at Honeybug, from my friend Martha, who's now the CEO of Flowdesk. Like, I just remember how that community encircled us. So both personally and professionally, I think there are just such advantages. And that second part of the question there around what does it really mean for small business owners? And, you know, why do small business owners truly need community? And look, I think it, it comes down to a very fundamental fact that we are built for community. We need connection and relationship in the same way that we need oxygen. And while oftentimes we write it off as a nice to have, we reschedule it as if it is something fun or squishy or unnecessary, we often fail to realize that community is a foundation. It is a fuel. It is so intertwined into our DNA and into the way in which our brains are wired that without it, we literally cannot exist and flourish as we are created to. It is not something nice to have. It is something necessary. And so in my first book, Built to Belong, I talk a lot about the neuroscience and psychology of community, of relationships, of how from a multitude of interdisciplinary perspectives, we need one another. That is a fact, right? We cannot argue it. It is a fact. And yet in a business capacity, I think it is also a competitive advantage. Community is a competitive advantage. It is the difference between I will spend five years figuring it out on my own and I will spend five minutes sharing and learning from others who have been there before me. It is the difference between I can't do this anymore and I am going to quit and I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to call someone 
who cares? I'm going to call a business owner who's been there. I'm going to reach out to that friend who the world might even see as my competitor, but we have worked on this relationship and we are colleagues. In every sense of the word, we will fight for one another. We may fight for clients, right? We may actually compete in the marketplace, but we put one another first. That's what community over competition as a concept is all about. It's not about disregarding that we might compete as business owners. It's not about ignoring the fact that in some markets there's saturation and that's just the way things are. We know that. We're not naive to that. But what it means is to say, when we acknowledge that we can truly fight for one another, even more fiercely than the world demands we fight against one another, we will be set up to thrive, that when I see her win, it is a win for me as well, that when the ceiling is raised, the bar is raised, that when the tide is raised, we all benefit. We don't have to fear the successes of others so much as we should look at them, cheer for them, and see the ways in which that can influence our own perception of what is possible for us. And so it's both, I think, inspirational, yes, but also very tactical, as I talked about, the knowledge sharing, the information sharing, the opportunity for introductions. The phrase now that's become very popular, you know, in 2024 is find friends that will say your name in a room full of opportunities. And yes, I love that quote. Yes. Yes. Like that is what this is really about. Amen. We could end this episode right now and people would walk away with value. Like, okay, I get it. I need to make this a priority, but we're not ending there. We've got a lot more to talk about. So speaking of community, and you've mentioned Rising Tide Society, you built up a community for creatives called the Rising Tide Society. And it was so successful that HoneyBook acquired it. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Tell us a little bit about Rising Tide Society and why you think it caught the attention of such a big tech company. And what was the appeal of this community-based initiative for them? Yes. Oh, these are great questions. So Rising Tide at its origin was very, very simple. It was, we saw this pain that we actually kind of just talked about at a very broad level of small business owners are carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders and they are doing something brave. They are doing something courageous. And the way that competition has pit people against one another, it's not allowing for true community to flourish. And so we wanted to try to solve for that, not at the scale that Rising Tide eventually grew to, but in an authentic sense, we just wanted to fix it in my hometown of Annapolis. That was where Rising Tide began. And so we started gathering small business owners together here in my hometown. And then what ultimately happened is people started to see it on social media and it very, very rapidly spread across the U.S., across Canada, and then across the world. At its peak, right before the pandemic, Rising Tide was meeting in over 400 cities every single month, led by grassroots leaders, meaning those meetups are free. They are led by small business owners on the ground who are just giving of their time to cultivate community to support their fellow entrepreneur. And it had scaled into this network, both online and in person. But but back then, prior to all of that, prior to HoneyBook hearing about it, it really was at its core, business owners just wanting something better for their future, which I pause for a quick second here just to say to anyone listening to this, you're going to come across moments in your journey where you'll hit a pain point, whether it's a pain point that can be solved by a product or a service, or in this case, a community. And one of the things that I learned early on about entrepreneurship is that when you see a problem, there are two types of people. There are people that wait for someone else to come and fix it. And then there are the entrepreneurs who say, 
oh, a problem? Wait, that's awesome. Like, yes, I'm going to fix it myself. That's an opportunity. And that that's just what we did. And so HoneyBook caught wind of Rising Tide when they were hoping to invest more in the small business community and initially had thought, okay, you know, we want to build it ourselves. We're going to build a community internally for our members. And then members over and over again kept bringing up these Rising Tide meetups. And so at the time, the head of business development at HoneyBook, a very passionate, very brilliant young woman named Martha Batar, invited us out alongside the co-founders to come to San Francisco, host a meetup for Rising Tide out there and just get to know HoneyBook. And spoiler alert for anyone who recognized that name, she is now the CEO of Flowdesk. So that's where we met. But she really, I think, was a gateway for introducing us to the possibility of something that is truly organic and truly grassroots like Rising Tide being supported, funded, and fueled by a tech company and the possibilities there. So in terms of what was in it for the community, well, we could continue to stay completely free. Resources would never need to charge for. Meetups, we would never need to have fees for. That was a big passion of mine as someone raised by a single mom who sacrificed everything for my sister and I. I acknowledge that, and you'll see this in all the work that I do, entrepreneurship, small business ownership for a very long time has been a difficult thing to pursue, right? There have been barriers. There have been walls. There have been things that unless you maybe have a certain amount of finances heading in or a background or knowledge passed on from parents or a certain degree, it's it's always been very difficult to break in. And we're entering this era where it's being democratized. And so I wanted Rising Tide to remain free, to reduce those barriers for folks like I could have imagined my mom, right, back in the day with two little kids, knowing that she maybe couldn't afford a big mastermind at the beginning if she wanted to start a business, but she could find somewhere to land so that she could eventually start to have the funds to get into the courses she needed or get the access to other things. And so it let it remain free. Now to HoneyBook, I think it was really enticing because one, it aligned with their values. And that's not just, you know, I'm not just saying that to kind of tow a company line or anything like that. HoneyBook is a very value-driven company. It always has been. It's one of the reasons I stayed there for eight years as an unemployable entrepreneur. Never would have lasted that long in most environments. But You know, I think they saw this as an opportunity to really invest in this community that they do care so much about. And it also gave them this wealth of insight into the small business world. You know, they, I remember we would host our Rising Tide meetups in the office. I mean, we would literally bring 100, 150 San Francisco business owners into HoneyBook space and just talk about the challenges of running a business. And that type, for anyone who's, who's built a SaaS platform or any type of, you know, a course or education, you know that you really have to know who you're serving if you're going to create something that resonates, if you're going to create something that solves their pains. And so this was that opportunity, I think, for the company to just be fully immersed, to be on the ground with their members, with these prospective customers, and learn what it means to run a business, learn what the challenges truly are, and start to become more invested in the community that, that they were serving. Uh, I feel like HoneyBook was so smart in seeing this opportunity where a lot of tech companies would have passed that up. So it says a lot about them for sure. And as you were talking, it got me thinking, a lot of people that are listening right now, they have small businesses. And by small, I mean, they're just getting started. A lot of people listening, they've been at it for a few years. But because I wrote a book called Two Weeks Notice, How to Quit Your Job and Start Your Own Business, I have a lot of newbies in my audience. And 
they do not have communities yet. So I want to talk about from your experience, how impactful is building community to the success of a small business? And I have to say one thing really quick. For so long, when I think of community, I think of a Facebook group or a circle group, but that's not your definition of community. Okay. So can we start there? We probably should have started the interview with that. Like what is community? And in terms of a small business, what could it look like? And then why has it like made such an impact for you? Or why do small businesses need it to make an impact? Yes. Okay. So I love talking about the mechanics of community building. And so first, I just want to make a promise. I will not get too nerdy on this. Because I think, again, when, when people have conversations about community, they talk about it from the lens of maybe a personal experience with it. And I've studied it at length from an infrastructure perspective, from how to scale it at a company level, from what does it actually take mechanically to equip hundreds of people to host meetups? Like, what does that look like? So My background has opened me up to a wide array of understanding on this subject matter. However, the beautiful thing about community is that by definition, it can be as simple as two people that are connected. I think we forget, right? We forget sometimes. We get caught up in maybe, yes, it could be a Facebook group, the perception of that or vanity metrics. We think about how big is a community, how thriving is a community? What does the engagement look like there? Or we can even think about in our personal lives, where do we find community and There's a need, especially now more than ever, for community. We've really lost it. There's a lot of research on that in regards to the loneliness epidemic that is currently one of the top health concerns for the United States government. And so with all of that, community can be as simple as two people that are connected. I know you're focused on marketing and selling your digital products, but I know many of you also have physical products, and I want to talk about Shopify. Shopify is a user-friendly commerce platform that helps you, my dear online entrepreneur, build an online store and make more sales at any stage of your business. They're the force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other businesses at every size. Let me tell you why Shopify is an online entrepreneur's dream platform. It's because it helps turn your browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout experience. In fact, it converts 36% better compared to other leading e-commerce platforms. Yeah, loving that. And I don't know about you, but as an online entrepreneur, my customer's experience, especially when it comes to checking out, is so important. Plus, not only do they support your customers, they support you as the entrepreneur. Shopify's award-winning help desk is there to support your success through every question and every step of the way. There's a reason Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash made easy, all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash made easy now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash made easy. We are online marketers, which means we have unique needs. And there are so many options out there for paid media. Sometimes it's hard to figure out where should you go to reach your ideal audience. But here's the thing. Have you thought about LinkedIn ads? LinkedIn ads empowers marketers with solutions for you and your customers, and it allows you to build the right relationships and drive results and reach your customers with meaningful content. 
You do not want to sleep on LinkedIn ads. And here's the thing, 79% of content marketers said LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. I hear it from so many of my peers, and I know you're doing important work. And with that, you wanna make sure that the work you're doing is getting in front of the right people. And that's what LinkedIn ads will allow you to do. So let your marketing efforts connect with the right audience and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. So if you go to linkedin.com slash Amy, you can get that $100 credit. So that's linkedin.com slash Amy. Terms and conditions apply. Now, when it comes to business, this is where I think it can be really accessible when we talk about where do you begin? So if you are just starting this business, you don't know where to start and you're hearing this conversation right now, Nat and Amy are talking about community. We're saying that it matters and you're going, okay, great. I agree. But why, right? What is the impact? How do I start? I think that, you know, the easiest place to begin when it comes to finding your community, when it comes to creating community is one conversation, one relationship at a time. That is truly one of the most simple ways to start. And for those of you who listening who are introverts or are naturally shy or the sheer thought of walking into a room of people you do not know sends you running to pick a different episode of a podcast, hang with me. Do not click out because I'm telling you that you can start wherever you are at. If that is sending a DM on social media to someone in your hometown that does something similar to you or going with one person you do know to a meetup with more people that you don't. I love calling that like buddying up, finding a buddy. It You are very, very much more likely to attend an event either in real life or digitally when you know even one other person there. And so find a buddy that you can take with you. By the way, when you hear about a meetup that's happening in your hometown, and there are plenty, Rising Tide is now a 501c3 nonprofit. So that's a whole other story. HoneyBook basically gave it back to the leaders last year and the leaders founded the nonprofit status and it's independently run, so it still exists. There are creative mornings meetups. There are the communities everywhere once you start to look for it. You can bring a buddy to a community meetup that doesn't even do anything related to small business. I just want to affirm that for you. So if you're the only small business owner in your family, in your friend group, like I was, right? Like we talked about, grab somebody that loves you, that knows you, that sees the person you're becoming and just drag them with you through the door. I think we forget sometimes, right? That we can bring one person with. That's where community begins. It begins with one relationship. And it grows from there. And I also like to say that one of the fastest ways to cultivate community is to look for the commonalities, look for things that you share, whether that is interests, values. Gosh, having toddlers reminds me, you know, just how easily they bond. I will never forget a couple of weeks ago, it was a cold fall day and I took my daughter to the park. And she doesn't say a lot. She's two years old, but she held up a rock and said, I love rocks. And another kid goes, I love rocks too. And suddenly they were best friends. And so I share that very simplified metaphor to remind us that we can get caught up in our own worries about relationships and community, but sometimes just finding a single similarity can cultivate a bridge between two people that enables more to grow. I love Taylor Swift. You love Taylor Swift. Cats are my thing, but cats are my thing, right? It doesn't have to be super complicated. It can even be as simple as saying, I'm starting a small business and this is where the next part comes in. That might be the commonality. Then it's a dose of vulnerability and I need help. 
I'm not sure what I'm doing. Does anyone else feel that way? And by bridging commonalities into a space of vulnerability, therein lies the magic and the opportunity for something more significant to form. And I have found in my work time and time again that you can take a room full of people that from the outside looking in have absolutely nothing in common. And I mean nothing in common in a world where we are so quickly divided, where people and algorithms love to see arguing and fighting. You can take a room full of people that, again, maybe would have fallen into different categories on a chart. And yet, one commonality being small business and one moment of vulnerability being, I need help. And those barriers come tumbling down. We take the first step forward in coming together as human beings, as seeing one another as human beings. And that is where I have seen transformation and community happen over and over and over again. And so that's where I tell people to start. One conversation, one relationship, look for commonality, and then be willing to be vulnerable, taking that first step. Ugh, I love that. And it's so simple to get started. And I'm just thinking for business owners themselves, entrepreneurship can be a very lonely road. You mentioned that. So in what ways can they themselves get involved in the community to make the journey less lonely for them? Look, it's no secret that it's lonely. Leadership is lonely. Entrepreneurship is lonely. But we all know it doesn't have to be. And so when it comes to getting involved, I think you have to first look at your own bandwidth in this season, your own capacity in this season. So it can be as simple as stepping into a digital space and carving out time to engage. It can be looking for ways to stop consuming on social media and start connecting on social media. Take a quick audit, right, of the time that you're spending there. Because I hear all the time, I don't have time to go to a networking event. And I, you might not. You really might not. However, Do you have five minutes that maybe you're just scrolling where you could instead be sending five minutes worth of those DMs that we talked about, those intentional comments, cheering other people on, on their content, right? Oftentimes people say, I just don't know where to begin. And we're almost waiting to be chosen, Amy. We're waiting for somebody else to say, you, you are worthy of being a part of this community. And what I want to challenge us to do instead is rather than waiting for the community to come to us, we have to be willing. I get it requires bravery. It requires courage. It requires that vulnerability I just talked about. But we have to be willing instead to take that first step and to approach, right? To be the one that leaves the kind words of encouragement, to be someone that looks for Facebook groups to join, to potentially even sign up for a course. And instead of just doing the bare minimum, see, does that course have a community accompanying it, right? Is there a way to get more involved? taking that next step. And so it doesn't have to be as dedicated as, you know, signing up to lead a meetup, like a rising tide group, right? Or even attending a meetup every single week or every single month. It can be as simple as saying, look, I'm going to carve out five minutes a day. That's all I've got. But I'm going to start initiating and building and creating community, not waiting for someone else to come to me, but knowing that I am worthy, that I am enough, that I'm going to find what I am looking for and taking that first step by being the type of friend you've wished to have in the small business world. That's what we have to do. We have to step forward and say, I'm not worried about this person being my competitor. I'm going to be their cheerleader. I'm going to show up, comment on their Instagram. I'm going to reply to their TikToks, tell them how awesome they are. I'm going to take that next step, send them the email of encouragement when I see that they're doing something really extraordinary in our space. 
because that's how we foster relationships, because that's how we start to build these communities. And I think it can be that simple. It can be an Instagram comment. It can only take five minutes. And what you'll find is that you'll start to uncover, one, who your people are. Because yes, some people won't respond. Some people might not have time. It's not, don't ever take it personally, right? It's, you have to go in knowing that not everyone's going to be your perfect relationship where not every community is going to be your community, but you'll never know until you start. And along the way, you'll find it. And one day you'll look back and go, I can't even remember how I lived before I had these three friends in my hometown. I can't remember what it was like to run a business before I had this group text of five of us who write each other about the ridiculousness of running this business and can laugh at the challenges as they come up along the way. One day you'll look back and be so grateful that you started. So true. I completely agree. And I was thinking, I hear so many course creators tell me they are fearful of showing up online. So you're encouraging them to get out there. You're encouraging them to start and not wait for other people to invite them in. But they're really fearful, especially because there's a lot of negativity, a lot of backlash. We are very aware of the cancel culture. I think about it often for sure. So what's your advice for them for how they can learn to ignore the negativity or should they be ignoring it and then keep going and showing up online? Yes. So not to be funny, but in an honest way, I just want to say, pick up my book, Gutsy. Okay. I wrote a book about this. I, I genuinely believe that this fear of showing up, this fear of even one step beyond that, what other people think of us kills more dreams than failure because it keeps brilliant people from putting themselves out there. It keeps phenomenal entrepreneurs from even starting the business. And I say, I go as far as to say, like, you know, I actually worry that the best businesses were never started. I fear that the best books were never written. I worry that songs that would have changed generations were never put to the page because someone was afraid to start out of this concern. But what, what will other people think? What will they think? if I start to show up. And so I say that one, to be encouraging, but two, to be a challenge. So if that is something that has held you back, whether it's showing up online, creating community and being yourself in those spaces, it's just important to note that you will always care about what other people think. It is a feature. It is not a bug. I learned this in my understanding of, you know, our neurobiology and psychology, studying it in undergrad, that just as we are wired for connection, we are also very much wired to be attuned to the opinions of others. And I think that, you know, it's a spicy hot take. I know that. I know to say you will always care about what other people think, but it is based in science and it is the truth. Now, the self-help side of this is that that awareness doesn't have to stop you and it shouldn't stop you from moving forward with your life. The moment we stop feeling as that awareness, that fear, we treat it like, oh, there's something broken about me because I care. I hear it all the time. Why am I just so frozen in fear and I, I can't move forward? What is wrong with me? And the moment we say, wait a second, what if instead of it being something that is wrong, what if instead of it being something that is broken, we first acknowledge that it is a part of the human wiring to be attuned, that we care, that we're clued in. We, it matters how people feel about you. It does. I mean, in a, a social hierarchy, in a social animal, right, like mindset, uh, it does matter. There are privileges afforded to those who are perceived to be a part of a group. And there's a lot of what I talk about in Gutsy around the cost of standing out, the cost of having an opinion. It's very real. But yet again, 
when we take that step back and we acknowledge, I might be attuned to these opinions, but I also know that this world needs me to show up as who I am. That this world needs me to be the person that only I can be, to bring the talent that only I can bring, to have the opinions that I have because of the lived experience that I've walked, then something else fundamentally shifts, that we recognize that while there will be a cost to showing up as yourself online, and while there will be risks to putting yourself out there, they are worth it. They are so very worth it. And so that's what I would say right? To someone who is afraid, not don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. You can do this. You don't need to worry about what other people think. Because although those platitudes may be comforting, the truth remains that I know and we all do that there will always be costs to speaking up, to standing your ground, to having an opinion, to showing up as your authentic self, and that those costs will look different for each of us. However, I also know that when you decide to be brave, and you decide to get gutsy, and you step up, and you are courageous, whatever that means for you in this season of your life, whether that is giving your two weeks notice, right? Whether that is stepping forward as a course creator and putting yourself out there. Not only will you live the life that I believe in my heart you deserve, but you will also create a world that is better for everyone else in it. By being brave, you empower other people to feel that they can be brave as well. And that ripple effect is the type of legacy that I hope all of us desire to leave on this planet. Amen to that. Amen. But here's the thing. I want to reiterate what you said, because I feel like I could learn from this as I support my audience. You're saying, of course, you care what other people think. And did you also say, and the way people think about you is going to give you an advantage to being successful. Uh, where I'm getting a little bit lost is, what if they don't like you? And what are you supposed to do about that? Yeah, so, and this is very specific to sort of a, almost like a sociological perspective on things. But I talk about it again in Gutsy. It's for the same reason why camouflage protects you and standing out opens you up to the possibility of becoming prey in the animal kingdom. The same can be said, yes, for us as humans. And so when someone is well-liked, absolutely, there are advantages to that. There are privileges that come with blending in and fitting in. And there are costs that come with standing out, whether that is by choice or not. And that is the truth. And so I think that part of what your question is here is, what do you do then if people don't like you? I think first you remind yourself that, I want to be very clear here too, I think first you remind yourself that while someone may not like you, and you may not be for someone, you are for someone else. And there will be someone else that needs you, doesn't even just like you, but desperately needs you. We've all heard you can be the juiciest peach in Georgia and there is still someone that doesn't like peaches. I always say like you can be the best slice of avocado toast and there will still be someone that doesn't like avocado toast. My point here kind of going back is that we have a tendency, I think, at least I do, I can speak to my own struggle with this, to blow certain concepts a little bit out of proportion where if one person doesn't like me, I suddenly feel as though in my own awareness of myself that everyone doesn't like me. If I make one mistake, right, I get the one negative comment, that is where I focus. And this, this does go back to, again, I talk about the way our brains are wired, but 
it goes back very much to that. We are very much attuned to those negative instances. We tend to focus on those negative comments or that one person that said that one thing that they didn't like about us, our course, our business, the service we provided. You can get 15 positive reviews, but Amy, if you get one negative one, we both know that's the one you remember, right? So I say that as to say, I have never met, at least not in person, someone that the entire world doesn't like. So I don't know that that's actually possible. However, I think, you know, one, it's important to always keep that in check. When you you start to spiral to the point of, well, what if people don't like me? Well, there's always going to be someone that doesn't like you. That's just, again, juiciest peach in Georgia. However, it's about finding the people who do. It's about finding the community that will. It's about also giving yourself grace and knowing that all of us will make mistakes. I have said things that I probably shouldn't have. I've made mistakes that I wish I could take back. But in the pursuit of living, you know, I I believe it's Brene Brown who says that it's not about being right, but about getting it right. It's about having the willingness to, in all of our decisions, learn and grow and give grace and accept grace in saying that someone might not like you and that's okay. You might make a mistake and, you know, we all fear cancel culture. You might make a mistake. You might screw up. You might get called out. But it's not so much about the mistake as it is about what happens after. What do you do after? Do you humbly learn? Do you grow? Do you apologize? Do you take the opportunity to allow yourself space to grieve privately, move forward, find wise counsel? Like, I think we sometimes feel as though if we aren't perfect, we're not enough. If we make one mistake, we're unforgivable. And that's just not reality. I also say that to challenge all of us in our relationships with others to be willing to, that if we want that same grace given to us as we step forward into leadership or into visibility, into community, that we give that same grace to the people that surround us. Amen. Ah, so good. Okay. I have one final question for you, and that is, What advice, well, I secretly have two, but this is a big one. What advice would you give to my listeners who are very fearful to take the leap into pursuing their dreams? They're still at their nine to five, or they're still doing something that they know they are meant for more, but they so desperately want to make the change, but they haven't yet. What would you say to them? I'm going to say this as my tough love, mama bear, big sister, persona. Okay. So for a moment, I want you to imagine that we are sitting together. We have a glass of wine or a cup of coffee, whatever you prefer. And you're saying to me, I am just afraid to take this next step. Here's what I'm going to say to you. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. I had to learn this through one of the hardest seasons of my life and acknowledging that I was going in for a brain surgery that I did not know what my life would look like on the other side of. And it became so painfully apparent that we spend every day assuming that we will wake up tomorrow, but that is not the promise that we are given. And so I want for whoever is hesitating, for whoever is on the precipice of something that they are dreaming of but doesn't know if they can take the next step, if they are brave enough to take the next step, I want to remind you, one, you have overcome all of the hardest things that you have ever faced in your life already. You can do this. And two, that because tomorrow is never promised, you have an obligation to yourself 
to go after the things that you know have been placed on your heart for a reason and not just for you. If the reason that you are feeling like, oh, I can't move forward because of all the what ifs and you're just focused on what could happen to you, I also want to remind you of what this world will be denied if you do not take that chance. The lives that will not be impacted because you held back or you didn't leap or you thought that your voice didn't matter or you thought that your idea wasn't good enough because what if it was the only thing preventing somebody else from having their breakthrough? What if you were the person that was missing the link that was needed to transform not just one, not just two, but hundreds, maybe thousands of other people's lives? And so... That is what I would say to you. And I would also give you a big hug in saying that it is okay to be scared. We are all afraid of doing big, brave, bold things. But that's where the gutsiness comes in. Because when you step forward and you do it anyway, everything changes. Okay? Everything changes. The last thing I would say is that you don't have to do it alone. And that's where you get that little bit of comfort. That's where whether it's starting the business or going into building community or whatever it is that you are afraid of, you know you can do it. You're capable. You know that time is limited, so you've got to get after it. But you also know that you don't have to do it alone. You do not. There's this big, beautiful community out there waiting for you to be a part of it. And I love that you remind people they do not have to do it alone. You mentioned your book, Gutsy, and I want to end there. I want you to tell us a little bit about your second book and why did you write it and who is it for? Yes. So my second book, Gutsy, Learning to Live with Bold, Brave, and Boundless Courage is what I like to say, a little bit of a habanero in a world full of sweet bell peppers when it comes to the self-help space. It is a book written for anyone who has a dream, has a passion, has something that they have truly desired to pursue and feels stuck or who is hitting a crossroads in their life where they know they're going to need courage, but they're not sure what it looks like in this season. I wrote this book for anyone who falls into that category, but I specifically wrote it with the knowledge and through the lens of the small business community that I have cultivated and been a part of over the last decade and a half of my life. And it was inspired and written because, like I said, I acknowledged that, you know, I think we we say that failure is the reason that businesses don't reach their highest potential or people don't go after and, and continue to do the thing that they've always dreamt of doing. But failure gets this villain era recognition and label around it. But What I've actually uncovered is that it's not failure, but rather fear that kills the highest number of dreams. It's not so much the I went after it and it didn't work out as it is the tenfold number of dreams that no one even pursued. And so Gutsy is a book that is written to ensure that that is not your story. Gutsy is a book that is written to make sure that you have what you need to take the next step in going after whatever it is that you desire in your life and that you have a roadmap to get you there. And it is a book that I really hope if that, if any of that, you heard that and you're like, okay, I need it. You go and you grab and you highlight and you write in the margins and you use it as a guidebook to take you from where you are to where you want to be because I wrote it specifically for that reason. I love that you and I both have the word courage in our subtitles, not confidence, courage. And it just, I knew you were my soul sister right away when I saw that, because I thought it's such an important word for entrepreneurship. So 
I think everyone in my audience would get amazing value from Gutsy. I will absolutely link to it in the show notes. Obviously, you can find it wherever you buy your books, but this is one that is absolutely a must read. Natalie, you talk as though you are a poet. When I listen to you say your words, I'm like, is she reading the script? Which I know you're not, but I'm like, this is the words that come out of your mouth are not only valuable, they're just beautiful the way you say it. I didn't know that about you until this interview. So it was extra special just to listen to you. Maybe you should be doing one of those calm meditations on the app because you just have a beautiful way of how you speak. And so that was extra nice on this interview. But thank you for all the value, for all the encouragement to build our communities one person at a time. I'm so glad that we've gotten to be friends and I really appreciate you being here. The last thing I'll say is, where do you want people to go to find out more about everything that you offer? Yeah, so I would say definitely go to Natalie Frank on Instagram. It's just my name at a handle and connect with me. If you heard about me from the podcast, if something I said resonated, send me a DM. I care more about connecting on Instagram than I care about growing an audience or following. So drop into the DMs. Let's spark up a conversation. And then if you want to learn more, you can definitely head to my website, nataliefrank.com or just, you know, Find me wherever I am on the internet, whether it's supporting our community over at Flowdesk or being on the ground at small business events and within the Rising Tide community. I pop up all over the place. So come find me, give me a hug, and just know that if you found me, you are no longer alone. Mm, I just got chills. Thank you, my sweet friend, and I can't wait to talk with you again. You have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Amy. So there you have it. I really mean it when I say, Natalie sounds like a poet to me. Did you hear it? where just how she speaks and the words she uses and how she strings it all together. It's just beautiful. That was just such a a nice extra to the interview. I hope you loved today's conversation as much as I did. Trust me, when I say that I know it is scary to take that leap and follow your dreams and put yourself out there, I mean it when I say that because I was terrified as well when you pour your heart and soul into your business and not knowing what the outcome may be, that is very scary. And as Natalie said, one million times worth it. I know the struggle of learning to drown out the noise and combat the pressure to fit the mold that everybody expects of you. And I also know how rewarding it can be when you do just that. You move forward regardless. I hope that today served as a reminder that you are not alone in your journey and the incredible, powerful tool of community is at your fingertips. You just need to start using it. I think my favorite part of the interview was when Natalie said, you can be the juiciest peach in Georgia and there will still be people that don't love peaches. Let that sink in. No matter how great you are, you're not for everyone. As Jasmine Starr would say, and as I did a whole chapter of this in my book, you ain't for everyone, boo, and that's okay. So what was your favorite part of today's episode? I would love to know. You know, I'm just at Amy Porterfield on Instagram, right? Jump into my DMs. Tell me what you love. Tell me what your takeaways are. I love to hear from you. All right. I hope you enjoyed this and I can't wait to come back with more entrepreneurial goodness. Remember every Tuesday, every Thursday, I'm here with you. I'll see you next week and have a great one. Bye for now.